Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tale 9 of the story of King Arthur. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Russell Newton. The Story of King Arthur in Twelve Tales by Winona Caroline Martin. Tale number nine, The Coming of Galahad. My good blade carves the casks of men. My tough lance thrusteth sure. My strength is as the strength of ten, because my heart is pure. Tennyson's Sir Galahad Again the Pentecostal time was drawing near, and Arthur had decided to keep the feast on this occasion at Camelot instead of at Caerleon, according to his usual custom. For many days beforehand, from north and south and east and west, such of the knights as had been able to achieve their quests had come riding into the city, anxious to take part in that most famous gathering of all the year which commemorated the day of their sovereign's birth as well as his coronation day. So that on the eve of the great feast a discovery was made of something which had never been known to occur before since the founding of the round table. Every one of the hundred and forty-nine knights of the order was in his place, and the siege perilous alone still stood empty. While that goodly company, the flower of Britain's manhood, sat thus circled about their king and queen, rejoicing in the unusual event, a maiden was ushered into the great hall and led courteously by one of the knights to the foot of the throne. There, after having made obeisance to her sovereigns, she asked the question that had come from the lips of so many damsels in distress. "'Your Majesty, can you tell me if the great Sir Launcelot is here?' "'That is Sir Launcelot,' replied the king, with an inclination of his head toward him who sat in the third seat from the mystic siege perilous. "'Sir Launcelot,' said the maiden, stepping up to the court favorite who had risen to meet her, "'I am sent to you by King Pelles, he who years ago received the dolorous stroke. He requests that, without asking any questions, you ride with me to an abbey in a forest not very far from here.' "'I will go most willingly, maiden,' replied Launcelot, "'if the king permits.' Arthur was about to give his consent when the queen interrupted him, saying, "'My lord, to-morrow is our great feast-day, and for once, perhaps for the last time, who knows, we are all together. May not Sir Launcelot delay this quest for twenty-four hours?' At this it was the maiden's turn to interrupt. "'Your majesty,' she said, addressing Guinevere, "'let him come with me now, and I promise you that he shall be back before noon to-morrow.' So Launcelot armed himself for the mysterious quest, and followed the damsel along devious paths until they reached the heart of a deep forest where there stood an old abbey. As the gates swung open at their approach, there issued from one of the side doors twelve holy nuns clad in spotless white raiment, one of whom was leading a young man, scarcely more than a boy in years, yet marvelously tall and stalwart-looking. 
Sir, said the gentle sister to Launcelot, this young squire is the grandson of King Pelles, who, however, has not seen him since his childhood, for he was early left to our care. He is strong and brave and noble, and has been taught all that a prince should know. It is time, therefore, that he be made a knight, so at his own request we have sent for the greatest member of Arthur's round table to confer that honor upon him. Then Launcelot turned his gaze upon the youth and thought that he had never seen so wonderful a face, for besides its manly beauty it showed courage and hope and the rich flush and glow of a great inspiration, which caused the mighty knight's heart to contract with sudden pain as the memory of his own lost youth rose up before him. Then a strange feeling took possession of him, and he seemed to hear a voice whispering in his ear, He has come, he has come but all he could trust himself to say aloud was, Then let him watch his arms in your chapel tonight, and in the morning he shall receive the order of knighthood. So it was done, and while the others slept, the young man kept his holy vigil, praying that he might ever remain true to his vows. With the first flush of dawn came the good sisters, filing in one by one, bearing lighted tapers, and ranged themselves about the altar. And last of all came Launcelot, who fastened the lad's golden spurs, after which he gave him three strokes with the flat of his sword, saying reverently, May God make you as brave and true as you are good to look upon. Then, when the ceremony was at an end, Launcelot turned to the new knight and inquired, Will you now ride with me to Camelot to pay homage to the king? But the youth answered, Not yet, sir knight, for the time has not come for me to go to court. Nevertheless, I shall join you there before very long. So Launcelot, pondering these things in his heart, returned alone, and arrived, as the maiden had promised, in ample time for the feast, which was set for high noon. Then began that day of days, the most marvelous of all the great white king's reign. As Launcelot rode in, he found the knights assembled in the throne room, according to their time-honored custom, awaiting the report of that unusual occurrence which would permit the feast to begin. Scarcely had he taken his place among them when a squire appeared before the king, saying, Sire, down by the river I have seen a wonderful sight indeed, a block of red marble, in which is sticking a sword with a hilt of curious workmanship, floating on the water like a piece of common wood. That is truly a marvel, exclaimed Arthur, and one well worth our going to see. Accordingly the king and queen, with all the knights and ladies of the court, filed down to the river's brink, where they beheld, just as the squire had said, an immense block of red marble, with a sword sticking in it, floating on the waves. They stood there watching it for a while, until presently it was cast ashore at Arthur's feet. Then the king espied an inscription, written in weird letters, which twined in and out among the jewels of the hilt, and proceeded to read it aloud. Never shall man take me hence, but only he by whom I ought to hang, and he shall be the best knight of the world. For a moment there was silence. Then Arthur turned to Launcelot, saying, This sword ought to be yours, my friend, for where in all the world is there a better knight than you? But Launcelot, remembering his adventure of the morning, and looking down into the depths of his own tempest-tossed soul, shook his head and answered humbly, Sire, I know full well that this weapon is not for such as I. Therefore I will not set my hand to it. Moreover, I advise no other knight here present to attempt to draw it, lest he receive a deadly wound. So the whole company turned back toward the hall, questioning among themselves what these strange things might mean, and there awaited them the second wonder. For as each man prepared to take his rightful place about the mystic table, he noticed a new luster proceeding from that empty seat which was known as the Siege Perilous. Presently, each became aware of the fact that the old inscription was gone from the back of the siege, and that a new one had taken its place bearing these words. Four hundred winters, and fifty-four accomplished after the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, ought this siege to be fulfilled. 
Then Launcelot, thinking of the lad who he had knighted that morning in the forest, turned pale, and exclaimed in an odd voice, Sire, according to that count the siege should be filled this very day, for this is the Feast of Pentecost, after the 454th year, and if it please you, I should like to cover these letters, that none may behold them, till the coming of him who shall achieve the adventure. Then, having received the king's permission, he took a cloth of purest white silk, and reverently laid it upon the chair, thus veiling it from curious eyes. After that, with a strange, tense feeling of something impending, the knights were about to turn their attention to the banquet, so long delayed by excessive marvels, when the third wonder of the day presented itself. Suddenly, all the doors and windows of the palace shut of their own accord, yet the hall was not greatly darkened. Then there appeared in their midst the figure of what seemed to be an old man, although he was cloaked and hooded in raiment of dazzling whiteness, so that no one could see his face. And with him was a young knight in flame-colored armor, by whose side hung an empty scabbard, for he bore neither sword nor shield. In an instant Launcelot recognized the youth whom he had knighted that morning, and he was, therefore, not surprised to see their mysterious guest lead him to the foot of the throne, and raise his hand in blessing, saying, Peace be with you, knights of the round table. Then, addressing the king, Sire, I bring you here a young knight that is of royal lineage and of the family of Joseph of Arimathea. By him shall the marvels of this court be fully accomplished, for the world has been awaiting his coming these many years. Then the aged man, who was none other than Joseph of Arimathea himself, caused the youth to lay aside his armor and threw upon his shoulders a scarlet mantle trimmed with richest ermine, after which, saying, Follow me, he led him to the siege perilous. And as the young man stood there, with a strange rapt look upon his face, as if he had a vision of things to which the rest were blinded, Launcelot's covering of white silk was raised by an invisible hand, so that all present might read the inscription, which was now changed for the second time that day.